So I got my stimulus check. A fat 12 honey. Should cover about half my rent. Uh, what is this? Middle of May. Um, my girlfriend, she got her stimulus check three weeks ago. Uh, first of all, I got a check in the mail uh, for some reason. It's supposed to be direct deposit, bitch. I pay my taxes. Although now that I'm thinking about it, I have to pay estimated taxes because I'm self-employed. Or at least I was. Now I'm kind of unemployed. <laughs> Hope to be self-employed again soon. Uh, yeah, so I guess I don't ever really get a refund. I always owe money at the end of the year, so... Maybe that's why they don't have my bank account in for rent anymore. But I mean, my bank's been the same for 25 years. I used to get refunds back when I worked for the man. They should still have that shit on file. So I get a check, which is fine, you know, give me the money. My, first of all, I'm a veteran. Not that that really means anything, but we used to pretend it meant something. I'm a veteran. I am a disabled veteran. I just got my Corona pandemic stimulus check two days ago. My girlfriend was born in Iran. America's enemy. And yeah, you know, she's a citizen now. But still. Born in Iran. Speaks Farsi and Turkish. Both of those countries are not friends of America presently. She got her stimulus check three weeks ago. So an immigrant, terrorist, not even born in this country, gets her check three weeks before a disabled veteran who was sworn to uphold and defend this constitution. Our government is now taking the opportunity of a pandemic to slowly chip away at. I mean, if Canada also wasn't a shithole, I might move there. I do love when people say they want to move to Canada. As if Canada's better. <laughs> like, as if they don't have people who love Trump in Canada. And, um... I thought the holdup, you know, if you were getting a paper check, I thought the holdup was that, like, Trump wanted to sign, like, personally sign each check. And that's what was taking so long. So not only did a terrorist, a sexy Persian terrorist, get her check before me, mine wasn't even signed. Mine wasn't signed. It had a stamp. 
that said Donald J. Trump. There was no signature, not even a, an attempt at a signature. The signature was some girl, some probably 22-year-old intern to the assistant of the undersecretary of the treasury. That's who signed my check. Some girl who's going to be out of a job in three weeks. Sign my check. America. Uh, what's going on with Paycheck Protection Program? I don't know. I get. I think this is a recurring theme of me trying to get free money from the government. That, uh, you know, my sense I'm not really working much. My new career is that a welfare queen. <laughs> Give me all <laughs> the government money I can get my hands on. So far, what have I gotten? I got a thousand dollar advance. I thought it was supposed to be a grant. Then they said it was an advance. Oh, whatever, I'm not paying it back. From the uh, emergency disaster loan, which I was just denied for. I didn't even know like there was a possibility like that particular program would have given me more money. I thought like, you know, they promised me or I don't know, promise is a strong word. They intimated that I would get a $10,000 grant. They gave me a thousand. And then now I just got a rejection letter saying I'm not getting any more money because it doesn't appear that I am financially burdened by the pandemic. <laughs> I don't know how they come to that conclusion. Like I'm basically making no money. <laughs> if that's not financial burden, I don't. Uh, what is? What is? What would constitute a financial burden? So really, it's it's interesting where they. I think we're up to close to three trillion dollars in a stimulus package. Plus, they're debating another three trillion if that ever passes through the House and the Senate. And then they're basically just finding any tiny little detail to not give anybody any of the money. It's all going to Shake Shack. Shake Shack and Potbelly. Stealing all my money. Um, so that's gone. And I guess I could try to reapply, but I didn't even know I was going to get any more money from them. Oh, and they called that $1,000 grant an advance. I guess it's an advance on a loan. And I don't know if they're going to expect me to pay it back. But I didn't, yeah, I didn't really sign any loan agreements. So, yeah, I'm, they're not getting that money back. Paycheck protection, still waiting to hear back from that. That would be a nice little, that'll give me 15000 if I get it. Um, and then unemployment. I filed for unemployment. And the unemployment is interesting. You have to, because um, normally I would not be eligible because I'm self-employed. I don't know why. I don't know. I don't know why normally what rules are for unemployment or not. Um, I guess unemployment is typically only for bitch-ass wage slaves who get a W-2. You know, but real Americans who have their own thriving businesses, you know, you don't count. 
yeah, so now I can get, supposedly, uh, I'm eligible to collect unemployment in this time of crisis. So I applied. And what you have to do if you are uh, like an independent contractor or self-employed, you have to apply for regular unemployment and then you have to get denied. You're going to get denied. And once you're denied, that takes about a week, then you reapply for a separate pandemic unemployment program. You can't just go and apply for the regular or for the pandemic unemployment program. You have to apply for regular unemployment first and then get denied before you can even attempt to apply for the one that's actually appropriate to you. I'm pretty sure our government, right and left, Republican and Democrat, really have no interest in reviving the economy. That's, I think, I don't like to get in conspiracy theories, but it doesn't really seem like there's really any interest in stimulating this economy or getting people back to work. It seems like the governments, you know, the the people in the Senate, you know, Pelosi, McConnell, all these fuckers, it seems like they're really tired of all the power that, you know, billionaires and big CEOs have, you know, guys like Bezos and Cuban and Trump. Um, they want to see them lose as much money as possible so they lose political power and they can't throw their weight around at the government anymore. You know, because they, they'll bring in someone like Zuckerberg to, uh, you know, like a, a Senate hearing and he'll have to, you know, throw his hoodie off and put a suit on and try to answer nonsensical questions asked by people who don't know what the fuck they're talking about. And that, you know, I am not a big defender of billionaires or Zuckerberg, but, um, you know, he can show up to a, to a congressional hearing like that. And then basically they still have no power over him. You know, he can, he can do what he wants. You know, he can, he can sort of dance around, you know, personal privacy issues or whatever the big issues for Facebook are. But he doesn't really have to do anything because there's no way that, you know, Congress or or the House or the Senate would get their shit together to actually institute any kind of regulations or guidelines because they all need Facebook to get reelected. So this seems kind of a way where they want these big, powerful billionaires in America to lose money and political power so that, you know, McConnell and Pelosi will, you know, it'll be the good old days where they actually had more political power, you know, back in like the 90s and early 2000s before uh, corporate interests got way out of control. They were always out of control, but, you know, I think they're they're trying to do almost a a trust busting thing like FDR did back back in the day with mm, Dupont and Rockefeller and those dudes. How do I know all this? 
Uh, I just made it up. I don't know <laughs> why. This is all based on personal experience and just trying to get a little bit of this disaster money. <laughs> why is it this hard? You could really streamline this process. Why do I have to apply for one program? And they tell you, like they, you, you go in, you go onto the website, you go into the application process. They'll tell you, you will not get approved for this, but you have to apply anyway so that you can apply for the other one. Why, why, why are there nine steps? Why just have one step? If you really want to get this money out there and stimulate the economy, just have the one step. Why, why is it so confusing? Why are you asking me for information in an application? And then I, I give you all the, all the documentation and all the information you ask for. And then you come around and tell me I didn't give you a specific piece of information and you're declining my application when you didn't ask for that information in the application. Like you change the rules. Ask me for the information. I'll give you the information. I have it somewhere. I'll dig around and find it. But if you don't ask me for the information, how do I know to put it in the application? So we'll see. I could either like get a lot of money. I mean, if I'm eligible for a paycheck protection loan and unemployment together, I mean, I could get somewhere between thirty and $50,000. That would be awesome. I'll probably get nothing. <laughs> All these programs will probably find some little technicality to deny my application and give me jack shit. That's what I'm expecting. But an extra 30 grand would be nice. That would, you know... That would be just about as if I got a paid vacation for two months. I took off for two months and got paid to not work. That would be great. That'd be pretty fantastic. And I would not feel guilty about it at all. You know, if they're throwing money out there, I want to get a little bit of it. And that little bit that I could get is nothing compared to what I'm sure in this disaster there are people who know how to work the system better than me and they are making out like fucking bandits but that would also require more work and research and how to do that and I don't, I don't like money enough for that I'd much rather just play video games most of the day than dig around on the internet to find out how to actually work the system to get hundreds of thousands of dollars out of it I, I wish I liked money more. I should like money more. But I value my free time way more than I value money. Which is why I'm not a millionaire. Um, yeah, I'm hoping... I don't know. This is It's going to be June soon. I imagine I might be working more in June. And I really don't want to. Like, why... I'm having a great time. I'm having a great time during the pandemic. I really, I don't want to go back and see the same old patients, same old clients, 
They complain about their same old shit. And it's like, ugh. I don't like helping people. I'd rather just hang out, do my little podcast, play video games. Like, this is kind of a great life. And it can't last forever. A lot of what I'm kind of... Dreading's a strong word. A lot of what I'm not looking forward to when you know i have to go out and interact with people again is i don't want to listen to people's fucking corona war stories like it's going to be a lot of that it's going to be oh i was i was exposed like back in february like i was in an elevator and then someone was coughing next to me and you know every everyone's gonna have some sort of story about how even though we all experienced the same thing, how their experience was special. Because that's just what people do. That's what we did when uh, when I was in the Army and we'd go on a jump, like we jump out of a plane, you know, do our little parachute thing, which uh, I had to do, eh, I usually did one once a week or maybe every other week. I think we, we had to do one at least once a month, but we usually did a few more than that. And then, so it's a bunch of dudes all getting in a plane with parachutes on, all jumping out of the plane. We're all doing the same thing. We're all sharing the same experience. But somehow, once you jump out of the plane, your chute opens, you hit the ground, you pack a chute up, you run back. To, well, runs are strong. <laughs> you mosey back to the truck, and you wait for everybody else to come in off the drop zone. Suddenly, every, everyone's got a war story about the jump you just did, the jump you all just did. Everybody's going to sit around and smoke cigarettes and exaggerate about how dangerous their particular jump was. Like, oh, this asshole came in, he sharked me, and he like he came, he went right under me, he stole my air, you know, and I had to like run on the top of a chute, and it's sort of like, yeah, we all did that. <laughs> we all just did that. Why are you regaling me? with your tales of heroism. Like, I, I did that too. You don't need to tell me. We could talk about something else. That's that's what coming back from Corona is going to be like. A lot of people who are never in any real danger at all suddenly are going to have PTSD. I guess psychiatrists are going to make out. Everybody's going to have war. Everybody's going to have war trauma from sitting in their house standing in a social distance line everyone is six foot apart the person behind you sneezed (laughs) that's going to be your battle of the bulge and I don't want to hear it I don't want to hear people's fucking corona war stories I don't want to I don't want to hear People congratulating themselves for keeping their routine. It's not interesting. You're not a hero just because you got up every morning, put a mask on, left your house, and stood in line outside at Starbucks. You don't get accolades for keeping your routine. Why would you keep your routine? Your life was shit before the pandemic. Why would you keep the same shitty routine? Switch it up. 
mix it up a little bit. I'm not going to give you a pat on the back because you managed to brush your teeth every morning. Because that was your routine. And this, oh, I'm also, I'm also discovering people aren't brushing their teeth. Even in normal times, people, I've heard a number of times, people feeling good about themselves for brushing their teeth every day. And it made me realize that, oh, you motherfuckers, you only brushed your teeth because you were afraid of being breath shamed by your coworkers. That's the only reason you would ever brush your teeth. And then I realized these motherfuckers are really only brushing their teeth once a week or once a day, Monday through Friday, basically right before they go to work. Cause I never really, I'll, I get a lot, a lot of people I know have like all these tooth problems like people are constantly getting root canals and like implants. Like they got to rip your tooth out and shove an implant in your jaw, leave it for a couple of weeks, and then they can put a fake tooth on there. Like, are you not brushing your teeth? And they, and they always say the same thing. It's always, well, no, I, I just have bad tooth genetics. I, you know, my teeth just, I just don't have great teeth. You know, and I, I kind of bought it before like okay like I rarely I you know last year I I had a cavity and that was kind of devastating to me just because I had to get a filling I haven't I haven't had a cavity since I was like eight years old that was a lot of my identity was having great teeth like great strong healthy teeth and then last year I'm 42 Dennis tells me I have a I have a cavity. I don't fucking believe her. I think she's she's making it up. She's gonna drill a hole in my tooth, you know, just so she can charge me the extra money and unnecessarily unnecessary hole in my tooth. You know, and then they take digital pictures and she showed me and I go, Oh yeah, that's a fucking cavity. That's disgusting. Get that out of there. But yeah, that was a good run. That was a thirty five year run at least of no cavities. And so I was maybe Tooth genetics is a thing, sure. Maybe I was born with great teeth genes, but now I, I don't. I don't. I don't believe you. I don't believe you when you say you have bad tooth genes. You don't fucking brush your teeth. If you're congratulating yourself because you managed to brush your teeth this morning, even though you didn't leave the house, you deserve to have every tooth in your head fall the fuck out. And I'm not going to pat you on the back for brushing your teeth. I'm not going to do it. I know you don't give a shit about long-term dental health and that's fine. I don't, I don't care. It's not like I have a tooth fetish. I just never really understood why everybody's going to the dentist all the goddamn time. Get your cleaning, get your checkup and that's it. A root canal? I don't even know what the fuck that is. What the fuck? I don't have no idea what a root canal is. It sounds painful. It sounds painful. Now I know you motherfuckers only brush your teeth because you're afraid of social social shame. You're more afraid 
of being shamed for having bad breath than you are of having all your teeth fall out of your fucking head. I don't want to hear, I don't want to hear about how well you kept your routine. Not interested. Your routine is dumb. Fuck your routine. You should add killing yourself to your routine. I would recommend that. <laughs> Brushing your teeth is not a... I don't know. <sighs> what are you going to do? I, I, I'm not going to believe anyone's tooth gene story. <laughs> I don't understand what that is. Now I know that's a lie. I've always had great teeth. I've never I've never had a doctor or a dentist tell me I have great tooth genes. They just compliment me on my flossing habits, on the effort I put in. Um like all right. So I work with uh, with some. I guess they're disabled. You know, it's sort of like most of them are, have like an invisible disability, um, and I'll get that a lot too because I'm fit. I work out. I eat well. I take care of myself. So, you know, I'm pretty pretty strong, relatively pain free. What I work with a lot of people, you know, they'll they'll sleep wrong and wake up with a dislocated shoulder, you know, just because of their specific, um, muscle diseases. And I'll get a lot of the, I'll get a lot of, I guess they're kind of comments or more like, you know, cause most of them are great. Some of them are a pain in the ass and they whine and complain a lot, which is understandable. Um, because they do have to deal with a lot and they're usually in a lot of pain and discomfort. Um, some of it's very, very serious and life-threatening, you know, when you're going to internally decapitate yourself because your neck muscles can't hold your head on your neck. I get it, but I'll get a lot of comments where, you know, I don't understand because I'm just healthy or I wouldn't get it because, you know, my vertebra don't just randomly pop out of place. And some of that's true. But some of it's also, I take care of myself. And even though some of the people I work with have these serious issues, they still make no attempt to take care of themselves. They don't eat well. They don't, you know, do what little exercise they can do. They don't do the exercises I recommend that are going to, you know, keep their joints in place. They're just like everybody else, you know, they're just kind of lazy and they want to complain. And that's fine. That's the human condition. We're all lazy. We all want to complain. But I put the work in. So I'm in my forties now. And if I didn't eat well, not drink so much, not smoke, work out like I'd be in pain like every other 40 year old who treats themselves like a piece of shit. Um, and I'm not because I put decades of work in. And so when you get a comment like, Oh, you just have good genes. 
It's like, maybe, maybe I put the effort in. (laughs) And it's that lack of understanding of just put a little effort in. Work out a little bit. Brush your fucking teeth. Twice a day. Floss at night before you go to bed. (laughs) If nothing else, brush your teeth before you go to bed, for fuck's sake. You can't just go to bed with all that shit in your teeth and your mouth is closed and, ugh. I have no sympathy for anybody with a root canal now. It's just sort of like, you brought that shit on yourself. I'm going to totally victim shame you. I'm going to shame the victim of anyone who needs a root canal. These are self-inflicted problems. Hmm. I don't blame my patients, though. It's not their fault. That's a genetic thing. (laughs) That's totally a genetic thing. But there is that thing of, you know, a lot of them could take better care of themselves. You know, the, the symptoms of their condition would be improved with a little effort. I'm going to get in trouble for this. Well, none of them know I do a podcast anyway, so unless they Google me and listen to this specific episode. (laughs) Well, fuck it. I'm not working now. I'm not seeing any of them now. (laughs) So fuck it. I don't know if I'll see any of them ever again. I might have to get in a whole new line of work, which I'm not opposed to. I've been doing this long enough. I could do something else. And that requires going going to some other school. I'm kind of done learning new skills. <laughs> Not interested. I had to learn how to edit this podcast just to put the theme song in. I'm like, that was a big deal for me. I don't know if I want to learn any new skills. So last time, uh, I was seriously underemployed. I became a personal trainer to pay the rent just to pay the rent. That's not really an option now. I guess last episode I recommended anybody who lost their job, you know, the military is a possibility. That's an option. Uh, it's, I don't recommend it. I don't not recommend it. It's just an option. This, what I did last economic crisis when nobody was hiring and, um, you know, we thought it was the end of the world. I became a personal trainer, which is not really an option now. It wasn't an option then. I didn't. Well, it was an option because I made it happen. It was a stupid option that I chose. (laughs) I didn't quite think it all the way through. I probably shouldn't have done it, but I did it and I made it work. And, you know, it's it worked out until I uh, do what I did now um, or do what I do now. So I guess I can't really recommend anyone who's lost their job just become a personal trainer now because, uh, you know, <laughs> there's no personal training happening now. It's not. And it might be a while before uh, people come back, before people want to spend time and money in an enclosed space, you know, and sometimes moderately intimate contact with another person. It might be a while for that to come back. You know, I'm sure like established trainers, you know, they'll probably most of their clients will come back, hopefully for them or at least half. Um, I don't see any new trainers (laughs) 
working anytime soon. Not for the rest of the year, at least. Maybe in January. Maybe we get some brand new trainers working then. Um, so, yeah, so I started training, I guess it was 2009. So I got out of grad school in 2008. Um, and then we were kind of fully in the, uh, the housing market bubble burst situation and nobody was hiring anywhere. Um, and at the time I was doing a little, I had been doing some defense contracting, um, just kind of part-time. That was also a 1099 gig, kind of part-time independent contractor, for a couple, you know, maybe I guess four or five different kind of boutique defense contracting agencies where they did, uh, you know, they all specialized in something kind of different, um, mostly like intelligence type work, shit like that. Um, and I never went to work for them full time because I had no desire to really do that kind of work for a career. But it was convenient when I was going to uh, undergrad and grad school because I could kind of work as much as I wanted um, and the pay was good. You know, I made anywhere between 80 and $120 an hour, um, which is actually less than I make now, but <laughs> now, now I don't leave my house for less than $125 an hour, but you know, back then it was great money. Actually, it's still great money. It's still a good hourly rate. Um, and it was cool because I would always get at least four hours. So even if I only went in and worked for two hours, I'd get paid for at least four. Um, so that did, that did work pretty well. And that was good for maybe, maybe two years. And then, uh, Obama got elected and then that work kind of started to dry up because we were coming out of, you know, we were kind of winding down in Iraq and Afghanistan. And a lot of these little companies, you know, they, lost contracts because those, you know, that work didn't really exist anymore. So they got bought out, you know, they all got bought out by the evil empire. So Dyncor, um, Booz Allen, shit like that. And then I was not getting as much work. I was just out of grad school. I was not getting any of my veterans benefits for school. And six months later, my first student loan bill was due. And I was anxious. I'd never really experienced anxiety before. Um, but I was fucking anxious. Like never really once in the four plus total years I spent in the Middle East. Um, never when I was getting shot at, like not saying I never really was nervous or scared even, but I never really had that just that oppressive anxiety until uh capitalism came knocking and said the bill was due uh yeah so i was i was getting kind of fucked so i lived off credit card for a while um and i guess i was getting enough defense contracting work to pay my car bill and my rents and any money any money I made had to stay in my checking account so I could pay those bills and shit like groceries, gas, that was all credit card and that was not getting paid off. So within about a year and a half, two years, I'd maxed out a credit card, which was probably, I don't know, it was probably fourteen, fifteen thousand $15,000. And that was just straight groceries and gas. 
like no luxuries or anything like that. Um, so at a certain point, I had a roommate at the time. She was a personal trainer at a Gold's, a Gold's gym. Uh, and I was just like, you know what? I, I can do that. I can do Oh, actually, before then, I was, I was looking into defense contracting full-time because I just needed the money. I got that student loan bill. I'm like, fuck. I just got to do anything right now to, to like pay the, the student loans off. So I was looking at, you know, defense contracting jobs. Really the only ones I could do would involve going back to Iraq or Afghanistan. And most of those were either some sort of like intelligence analyst work, which is, well, that shit's so boring. Or I could do, um, I could train, you know, Iraqi or Afghan police or military. So I just go in as an instructor and, you know, teach them how to shoot, move, do small unit infantry track tactics, some shit like that, whatever they teach them. Um, and that was a thing too. There was a time probably before I was looking for these jobs where they just took anybody with any kind of experience and would pay you $250,000 to go teach Afghans how to shoot. <laughs> It's like, and uh, I spoke Arabic, so they were taking anybody with any kind of language skills, and you would just go to to Iraq. You could just go to Baghdad as a linguist for four hundred grand a year. It was crazy, and I didn't, you know, I was in school at the time. I was way into being in school. I had no interest in going back to Iraq and fucking translating anything for anybody. Um, but then by the time uh, those jobs became attractive, those jobs were going away. And then they were much more, especially for like a linguist type position, they were much more picky about who they were taking for that because they'd been burned enough times. They, I think they just hired a bunch of assholes who could say fucking Allahu Akbar and paying them six figures and then they get there to do the job and they can't fucking speak Arabic. They suck. Um, but they signed a contract, so, you know, they couldn't fire them. So I think after they got burned a few times, they're like, all right, we're, gonna, we're only going to take. So by the time I was looking at those jobs, they really only wanted, they wanted native speakers, meaning, you know, Arab immigrants with citizenship who could get a top secret clearance, which is kind of hard for them to get, but that's all who they were taking. They didn't want me because my Arabic was still, it was still okay at that point. Um, I definitely lost some of it, but I could have got it back pretty quickly. Um, but they really wanted like native, native speakers. They basically wanted like a UN translator who could do some sort of simultaneous translation. And I was never, ever that good. So I wasn't getting those jobs. So the only job I almost kind of got was working for, uh, not Blackwater, but another company that existed at the time, like a private security company that was pretty much just like Blackwater, but it wasn't Blackwater. It's another company called Triple Canopy, which I think... Both of those companies are now one. Like that company and Blackwater merged to become whatever Eric Prince calls it now. And now, you know, they're all <laughs> designing prison camps for Uyghurs in China. Is basically what they're doing now. It's some shady shit. And I did not want that job. 
at the time the they tried to make those those companies seem kind of cool there was like there was like a real pr campaign to make those companies seem like almost better than the military you know it was almost almost like a like a like a conservative libertarian kind of answer to the war on terror was well let's just hire these these mercenaries basically to go clean up the world for us um and it was just, it was a total propaganda campaign because when I was in the military I knew a few guys who went to go work for those companies like a couple before 911 um and not specifically those companies but companies like you know they're just private security slash you know basically mercenaries um I knew a couple guys who left special forces to go work for them, these type companies. And those few guys were basically almost getting kicked out of the military. Like they weren't quite getting kicked out. They were kind of, they were just kind of told like, Hey, you're done. So when your time, we're not kicking you out, but when your time is up, you're getting out. We're not going to, we're not really going to let you reenlist. We're not going to send you out on any more real missions anymore. You're just going to ride out your last 18 months here, like pushing paperwork. And then you're just, they were just kind of like weird. And most of the special forces wasn't like that. Like they're pretty, they've got a pretty good system of like just weeding out, you know, most weirdos and crazies and sociopaths, but a few slip through the cracks and they'll make themselves known. And then eventually they're just kind of quietly like, it's not even like they do anything specifically wrong. You know, it's not like they're out murdering babies or anything, but it's just over time, all their teammates or maybe their boss is like, this dude is like, he's kind of a liability. We need to, we need to invite him to go elsewhere. And those few, and I really, I'm just thinking of maybe two, three guys in the, you know, in my five years that I spent in special forces, I'm just thinking of those two or three guys they all got out. Well, actually, one got out and joined the ATF. <laughs> so I was like, note to self, whenever I get out of the military, whatever I do next, do not do it in the ATF. And a couple of the other guys, they went to some sort of, you know, like private security company, kind of like a Blackwater type thing. And so that was always in my mind. I'm like, well, I don't want to work for one of these companies where it's just full of these weirdos who basically, you know, they just want to murder people. <laughs> and they're weird. These are guys who would like, you know, if if you're stuck in like a, you know, you're deployed overseas and you're kind of, usually living conditions weren't awful, awful, but they were, you know, they were impromptu, could be a little rough. Um, sometimes it's just, you know, you're locked in a big warehouse together you know and there's no privacy and it, there's just cots lined up almost like it's a prison but you know it is what it is you're there for a couple of weeks it's not a big deal but these are the guys who would like in that situation would just like pull their cock out and start jerking off and then think you're weird because you tell them to knock it off <laughs> like just weird fucking guys like that those were the guys who i knew of who went to go work for like a private security company so i was not really enamored with you know how cool Blackwater was because I was like it can't be that cool it can't be that I know I know the type of people who go do that um and then I actually actually when I was out 
Like I hung out with a guy a little bit who was a friend of a friend's who I knew from the army. Um, or at least we went drinking a couple times. He was working for Blackwater and he was fucking weird. <laughs> like, yeah, so it's just fucking weirdos went to go work for them. Um, but I needed money. So I did apply for a company that was not Blackwater. It's another company called Triple Canopy. At that time, Blackwater, I think some of their guys had just murdered a bunch of civilians in Baghdad. And they they were under some type of investigation or lawsuit. So I'm like, all right, I'm not going to apply to them. But maybe I'll apply to these other guys. Because they specifically wanted people who could speak Arabic. You didn't have to speak Arabic like... A UN translator. You just had to be, you know, functionally fluid, could get around, could read, write, um, and also handle a weapon, which most military linguists cannot do the weapon part. <laughs> They're not. So it's kind of it's kind of like almost two opposing skills. You gotta get somebody who can learn Arabic and can speak it. You also got to get somebody who can handle a weapon. Usually those are two different types of people. Um, and I was like, that's perfect. Cause it's basically what I did in the army. I'm like, well, I'll just do that. I'll get paid six figures. It'll be great. Um, so I went in, I did two interviews. It was like a, a Thursday interview, Friday interview. And then, uh, they're like, all right, you're going to come back on Monday. We're going to, you're going to interview with the, some guy who was higher up. And then we're going to start your in processing slash application process. And I'm like, all right, that sounds good. And then that weekend, like six or eight Blackwater guys got like shot down in their helicopter. They all died. <laughs> and I don't, you know, I just read about this in the news and I'm like, nope, I'm done. I'm not, I'm not doing it. <laughs> I'm not going. I'm not, uh, no, I'm not going back. Fuck that shit. I don't care how much they're paying me. I'm done. I dodged enough bullets. I'm, <laughs> it's not worth it. So my roommate was a personal trainer. And I'm like, well, let me just try that. Let me get my little dumb personal training certification. I work out. I'll teach some fatties how to work out, and they'll pay me for it. It'll be great. How hard can it be? Um, so I got my little online certification, which is, uh, it's bullshit. I kind of knew as I was taking it, it was bullshit. Um, basically, you order the book. You read the book. They had DVDs with videos. I don't remember if you even watched those or not, but I would just like, I'd read a chapter a day. I think it took me two weeks to get through the book. And then I went to take the test. You have to go to like a little monitor testing facility to make sure you don't cheat. And then I passed the tests and then I had my certification. And then, then you got to get a job as a new trainer. And usually most gyms, that's the hard part. Like most gyms are not looking for new trainers once or twice a year. Let's say if it's a big box gym, um, they might hire, you know, three or four new kids to come in and be trainers. Um, and most of them fail out. And that's why I didn't know this at the time. Trying to become a personal trainer in the middle of an economic crisis is an idiotic idea because basically when a lot of the country is out of work, you're basically asking people to give you their disposable income to make them feel nauseous and uncomfortable. That's really what you're doing. 
<laughs> That's a hard enough proposition in great economic times. In bad economic times, it's even harder. And it's a little offset because, you know, I was living in the D.C. area at the time, which is never really as hard hit as some other parts of the country because most people work for the government or um, their jobs are kind of protected. But even when, and I've noticed through, you know, I guess I've been around D.C. for, you know, 15 years now, I've noticed as the economy rises and falls, um, even though my clients don't get out of work, whenever there's a hint of economic trouble, they definitely tighten up the purse strings a bit. Like they still get paranoid enough that they'll stop just flinging all their money away willy nilly. Um, so it's still a little difficult, you know, even if you're in an area that's not really hit hard, you know, by as you know, the rest of the world or the rest of the country, people still, you know, they read the news and they make decisions accordingly. Um, so pretty, I think maybe six months into trying to be a, a personal trainer. Well, first of all, I got fired. My first personal training gig. I got, uh, I, um, got my little certification and then cause my roommate worked at a gold. She's like, Oh great. I'll talk to my manager. The manager said, sure. Come on down. They hired me. And gold is like a gold is like a corporate entity, which uh, was annoying because immediately they're trying to, you know, indoctrinate indoctrinate me with their particular corporate propaganda. And then I got to watch videos like I got to watch an ethics video. I got to watch a sexual harassment video. And I'm like, what is this shit? Um, I'm like, all right, I don't really have many other options. And then you think you don't really know how, how the business of training works because you get your little certification, which I don't even know what it's for. It doesn't teach you how to be a trainer. It doesn't even really teach you much about exercise. Mostly it kind of teaches you the, the lingo of anatomy, you know, and what terms like distal and proximal and, um, you know, how these things, you know, when you're talking about parts of the body and you want to get specific if I want to, but it really wasn't even that specific. So it's almost like a watered down physical therapy term, almost like, you know, it's like you're basically getting certified on the cliff notes of physical therapy, which, you know, as you learn later, physical therapy has nothing to do with exercise. And 99% of physical therapists have no idea how to work out. It's ridiculous. Physical therapy is also another scam, but that's aside the point. Personal training is also a scam, even though I still do it. Uh, but there are ways to make it so it's not a scam. So it's kind of an interesting job field. But I imagine most job fields are kind of the same. Um, what what it is in reality and what it's meant to be are, have diverged, you know, decades ago. Um So, yeah, so I get fired. <laughs> I get hired. I get hired at Gold's. Um, I was there for a week. Within that week, um, the manager who hired me left. And then a new manager came in. Two days later, she left. And then finally, a new manager came in. And he's the one who fired me. 
This was all in six days. And during that time, I had no clients. I sold nothing. Um, and that sold is the key word because especially at a, at a big box gym like a Gold's, it's not, it's not about the training or the fitness or the exercise. It's all about the sales. And at this particular place, I would, I would get a commission off selling anything there. So whether I'm selling personal training sessions, I could sell you a power bar. I sell you a t-shirt. They had a tanning salon. I could sell you a tanning package, which always made me laugh. Cause I go, why, why are they coming to the gym and why are we selling them cancer? I don't. Why don't we just sell Marlboro lights at the front desk? I don't understand. Um, yeah. So basically my job was not to be a personal trainer. My job was to be a salesman and I just had to sell people on everything. And that's how gyms like that get away with a, with a cheap membership. So if you go to sign up for a gym and the membership is like 30 bucks a month, you're going to be hounded constantly by all these shithead trainers trying to sell you protein powder and all kinds of other shit you didn't ask for and you don't need. Um, so I got fired after a week and then I'm like, well, fuck it. Like being a trainer stupid. I guess I learned a little more about working out with my dumb certification. But other than that, I guess I wasted. And I don't think it was cheap either. It was like six or $700 for the whole thing to get. Yeah. You know, money I don't have. It just all went on a credit card. I'm like, all right, that's another, yet another expensive lesson I learned. So it wasn't for a year. I was still kind I was still scraping by, still doing a little defense contracting. Um, definitely not making enough money, but you know, I was still getting groceries and grass on the credit card. There were some other jobs I'd applied for in that year that, you know, and people love to string you along. This was really my first experience, like treading the boards, doing interviews, trying to, you know, and I figured I was, I was, I was a blank slate. Like I could enter any job field. I tried looking at all kinds of things um, and none of it panned out because nobody was hiring, but that didn't stop people from bringing me in for interviews. They love to bring you in for an interview, waste your time. And multiple interviews. Sometimes you go back for three, four interviews. They love to bring you in and then say, well, we're not really hiring yet. We just want to see what's out there. And you're like, is that real? Is this you saying you don't like me? Is this a nice way of saying, no, we're not going to hire you? Or are you being real? Because either way, it's just fucking insulting. <laughs> like just say, well, you don't really have the experience we're looking for. That's great. That's a real answer. Or, but you're just going to bring people in who prepared for an interview, sometimes multiple interviews, and then say you're, you're not really hiring anybody. Like, why are you wasting my fucking time? And I never know. I would believe either answer. Um, so yeah, that's what I was doing. And then finally, after enough rejections, um, I decided to maybe give personal training a go. And this, again... Um, I'm like, well, I still have my certification still valid. Let me try again at a different gym. Um, so I was started looking at like private studios. I'm like, well, these big box gyms are definitely garbage. Let me start looking at private studios 
where, um, you know, there's just an owner and then maybe a couple trainers work there. And I looked around at a bunch of those and, um, those were not any better. The ones I went to, um, I've seen some sense that are better, but yeah, those were, those were kind of even worse because at least if you work at a big box at a corporate gym, there are, you kind of have rights, you know, you're in a, you're an employee, you have benefits, you get a W2. Um, yes, you basically have to get your own clients. They don't just give you clients, but if you're working a minimum number of hours, you get health, you get dental, you get 401k, you know, all these corporate entities will have those things. These other ones, these private studios, basically they would have, if they would have brought me in as a brand new trainer, paid me maybe $20, $25 an hour, not given, giving me no benefits, um, while they're charging the client well over a hundred dollars a session. And I have to still get my own clients. <laughs> like I didn't, I went to four or five of these ones and they were all trying to give me the same runaround. I'm like, well, Gold's was a way better deal. <laughs> like Gold's didn't pay much either. Gold's paid fucking shit. You know, I think, I think their, their biggest trainers there were making maybe $35, $40 an hour. Um, but they were getting health and dental and all that other shit. Um, Working at these little private studios, they charged more for sessions. I would have got paid less with no benefits. And it's not its not like I'm showing up and they're giving me clients. Like, I have to show up and still try to get my own clients. It was ridiculous. Um, until eventually I did start training at this other, uh, it's called a Washington Sports Club. Their deal was actually better because their model wasn't based on sales. Their model was based on membership. So you had to pay about $80 for a membership, just for a regular gym membership. And then as a trainer there, I just wandered around. So the girl liked me, she hired me, the manager, and then she just left me alone. And I had to figure out, it took me about a year, but I had to figure out how to actually, you know, be a trainer. And that's the hard thing because nobody, there's no like, there's no course or certification that tells you how to just do the business of being a trainer. And there's barely any courses or certifications that actually teach you how to do the training part of the job. After a couple of years, I managed to find two. And those are the, like the big certifications I have now for that, who actually teach you, this is how you assess a potential new client this is how you kind of not diagnose but this is how you determine like what it is they need what are their limitations how do you tailor a program specifically for them so that they see improvement there are thousands of personal training courses and certifications and all this shit and they're all bullshit it's it's crazy how much snake oil it is um the best part is that you get your little training certification. And then in order to stay current, you have to do um, continuing education. You know, like you're a fucking doctor or some shit. 
you got to do continuing education. So you have to take a certain number of credit hours every year or every two years in order to recertify your cert, your whatever certification you have. And you're like, okay, I mean, that makes sense. You want to, you know, be current. You want to continue to learn. You want to grow. You know, you want to expand your base of knowledge. So you'll take these classes and you'll take these courses, these approved continuing education courses. And the courses are nonsense. The courses are, a lot of the courses don't even attempt to teach you anything but training. It's just like you show up, it's a workout, and then they want to sell you the piece of equipment you just worked out on. It's just a straight sales thing. It's a commercial. You basically showed up to participate in an infomercial. And then most trainers are idiots, so they're suckers. So they're going to buy they're going to buy the medicine balls or the TRX or the whatever fuck it is you're getting quote unquote certified on. You're going to buy the fucking stupid kettlebells because you took a you took a master kettlebell swinging course <laughs> that you paid a thousand dollars for. You went to uh, get certified in CrossFit for a weekend to to do what to learn that oh I can do squats and pull ups alternating <laughs> like I, you charge me a thousand dollars for that like I've been doing that for years you didn't teach me anything new um, it's all a, it's all a shady sales scam but you show up to the courses you refuse to buy their fucking their non FDA approved products and then you get your little certificate and then you're recertified for the next year. It's, it's insane. It's insane and absurd. It's ridiculous. Um, and the best part are the other trainers because they seriously are fucking idiots because they just, they just buy right into it. They love it. I went to a, uh, like a convention, a weekend long, it's called the idea convention. Um, and you show up to this weekend long thing, you know, it'll be held at like a Hilton or something in, a, you know, in a bunch of conference rooms and there'll be all sorts. And it basically, it's like a, you just schedule classes all day, um, in these different hotel conference rooms or whatever. Um, and then at the end of the weekend, you'll have amassed enough continuing education credits that it'll take care of your recertification needs for the next two years. Uh, so I went to one of these and it was fucking car. It was such garbage. And all the, all the other people attending are great. Usually it's half of them are these old ladies who, I, I don't know if they just like, if they just retired or they'd been not working for a while and they're like, oh, well, I like to work out and I'm just gonna like, I'm gonna be a personal trainer for all my friends and then they're going to pay me and it's going to be great. And none of these people's like expectations ever work out because something like 85% of new trainers like don't make it past the first three months. That's a statistic they don't tell you. I didn't learn that little statistic until I was a year in and I just started kind of making some money. Like I was just getting into the black. <laughs> like it took me a good year to like break even. Um, as a trainer, uh, some people come in and kill it right away. And it's really a personality thing. It's a lot of like, I waited tables at a TGI Fridays for about a year 
and some of the waiters killed it and some didn't. I was one of the waiters that did not really kill it as far as tips are concerned. Like some people were just great at working a table and they could get these fat families to just tip the shit out of them, you know, cause they'll like, they'll get down on their knees and they'll talk to the kids at the table and then they'll make dad jokes with the dad and then they'll compliment the mom and do all this shit. It's like, it's not like I was a bad waiter. Like, you know, I anticipated people's needs. I did what I needed to do, but I'm not doing the whole song and dance. Like I'll get you your food. I'll take your order. I won't be rude. I'll be nice. You know, if you want something, I'll get it for you. I'll get it before you even ask for it. But I'm not doing the whole song and dance thing. Like I just can't, it's not, it's not in my personality to do that. And a lot of trainers are just really great at the, the sales, um, at just getting people to sign up for sessions. And they're usually pretty like a type. They're usually kind of psychotic. They're usually wildly narcissistic and they're usually shady as fuck. <laughs> That's a great part about trainers too, because personal training is not a real job. It can be a real, you can make it into a real job. I managed to make it into a real job without actually feeling too much like a job. It took me a little while to figure out how to do that because I didn't want a real job. But training is one of those things that attracts like dilettantes and just fucking con artists. And you'll know the con artists in the personal training world because they will, they've always got like three or four other jobs going, three or four other not real jobs. And then they're usually involved in one or more pyramid schemes. Um, and eventually they'll come around and try to hit you up to be part of their little pyramid. <laughs> and those guys, they're usually around, they're usually around for a couple months. Like they're usually coming from some other gym. And a lot of times they'll come in and say like, oh yeah, I used to be a manager at this gym over here. And like, I just got tired of being a manager and I just wanted, you know, that's a lot of work. I didn't, I didn't need all that hassle. So I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna be a straight trainer again. And then you realize like, oh, they got fired from that place <laughs> because they got caught stealing money or doing some shit. Um, and then they'll, they'll roll into being a trainer at your gym and then they'll be there for about three to six months and then they'll just abruptly leave. You're like, where'd that guy go? And then it'll come out like, oh, they stole a bunch of money and left right before they got caught. And then you hear, oh, they're working down, they're training down the gym down in Capitol Hill. And that's all waiting tables is too. Like it's the, if waiting tables in a, in like, because I worked at a TJ Friday. So if it's like one of those type places, like a ch chain, like a corporate chain, you know, lower middle class type restaurant joint, it's the same waiters cycling through. Like they come, they go, you might be at Friday's and you go to Chili's, go to Applebee's. And eventually like within the span of three or four years, they'll work their way back to Friday's again, because now Friday's has had like a change of managers four or five times and no, none of them really remember. But it's all the same shit. And gyms work the same way. It's like the same managers and the same trainers are bouncing around from gym to gym to gym. Um, yeah. It's a whole shady world. So 
I don't recommend joining the army. Um, but it's not the worst option. If you feel that's your only move, you can make it work for you. Um, and it might actually be to your benefit. Not that I recommend it. I would not recommend ever to anyone becoming a personal trainer. <laughs> it's just, it, it was what I'll say. Um, what I always thought was funny is when I first started personal training, you have to do like a few little classes, like one, not even really about personal training. Once you get to like a, you know, like a big box corporate type gym, you'll have to take these classes. Um, usually one will be on sales. They'll have a couple training classes like, oh, this is how you actually in in process, you know, you have to give them the, the waiver. You have to give them the, the medical history form, shit like that. And then this is how you do, this is how you assess someone's squat. This is how you say, and it's all bullshit because the people teaching the class have no idea what the fuck they're talking about, even though they all are convinced they do. And then you usually have to take a sales class. And the sales class is kind of creepy because, um, they'll, they'll just, They'll just tell you how to do all sorts of like, I don't even know if it's unethical. It's just sleazy. Like um, one of my favorite examples was like, let's say you have this guy. He's middle aged. He's in his 50s. He comes in. He's had a heart attack. He's married. He has kids. How do you sell him? And they will tell you that, hey, you know, you're 50. You haven't worked out. You had a heart attack. Do you want to be around for your kids when they graduate high school? And I'm like, you know, I don't consider myself a good person or the best person, but that's kind of shitty <laughs> to say. And not, and it's funny because it's not that it's not true. It's like I'm not, a, I'm not sleazy enough to be comfortable using these tactics to get somebody to buy from me. But a lot of people are, and they become successful trainers. So there's a di then there is a difference between a good trainer and a successful trainer. And they usually are not the same person. <laughs> a successful trainer is usually really just a successful salesman and knows nothing about actually training someone to be stronger and fitter and more healthy. Um, and if you are a good trainer, meaning you are really good at training someone to be stronger and fitter and more healthy, you're usually not so great on the sales part because potential clients don't want to buy personal training sessions from someone who tells them the truth. <laughs> they want to be lied to. So if you want to be good and successful, you kind of have to be both. Um, but the other thing I got from these classes was that in the beginning, they always go around and they'll ask, you know, there might be eight to 12 people in the class and they'll ask each person, why do you want to be a personal trainer? And the correct answer is because I want to help people. Everyone always says, well, I just really want to help people, you know, get healthier and meet their goals. And that is all bullshit because it would come around to me. And I'm not really, I've never been capable at bullshitting people. I can either say what I think 
or I can just not say anything. Usually I choose to not say anything, but sometimes, you know, in that situation, it's your turn. You can't just not say anything. So then I have to say the truth and then people don't like me. But the truth is I did not become a personal trainer because I wanted to help people. (laughs) If I wanted to help people, there are way better job fields to get into. I became a personal trainer because somewhere along the line, I fucked up. Somewhere in my life, I fucked up. And I don't quite know where or when I fucked up. Because early on, I kind of did what, you know, people told me the right move was. And then somehow I fucked up anyway. And then eventually the lesson I learned was, oh, stop listening to people. Stop fucking listening to people's advice on life or what you should do. Just do whatever the fuck you want. And still, when you do whatever the fuck you want, because there's also been a lot of times where I just said, fuck it, I did whatever I wanted. That was not the right move either. I don't know what the right fucking move is, which is why I can't recommend anybody do or not do anything. I don't fucking know. I just know what definitely did not work for me and what kind of worked for me. I don't know that anything has really unequivocally worked for me. But overall, usually it's kind of worked out anyway, despite me fucking up. So that's the real, and I'm not saying don't get a personal trainer. Uh, Maybe I'll get into later on how to choose a proper trainer if you really want some, and they can be very helpful. Um, But good trainers are few and far between. They're very hard to find. Usually anyone who would be a really great trainer is already doing something more useful. (laughs) Like, (laughs) and I'm not even saying I'm a great trainer. I'm not, you know. Every trainer, whether they're good or not, will tell you they're a great trainer. I don't know. I don't know if I'm good or not. (laughs) I don't know if I'm successful or not. Who fucking knows? I think I know what I'm doing. I haven't broken anybody in about five or six years, so I've got that down. I've gotten people more fit or at least help them maintain their fitness level. Um... And I haven't injured anybody in five years. That's about the, that's about the most success I can claim, which I'm comfortable with because I, I understand that being a personal trainer is not a real job. I didn't choose it because it was my dream. I just got into it because somewhere I fucked up. You know, I did what I thought was the right move. I didn't have money for college, so I joined the military to get money for college. And then I went to college And I went to grad school and then I was in debt and unhirable. (laughs) I don't know what I did wrong. Clearly I fucked up somewhere. And I think that probably, you know, that will make the best trainer. Someone who tried to be a properly productive, valuable member to society Somewhere it went off the rails and then you just became a trainer because you're just trying to do the best you can. (laughs) 